Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. And, you know, this is your ups and downs episode, but if you've been watching the Rockies over the last four days, and I suspect that some of you have, despite your better judgment, <laughs> then you will know that there is a shortage of ups to be had here. I, I can only... You know, whatever phrase you want to use, lipstick on a pig, whatever. I can only do so much here, right? Uh, It was a truly awful series for the Rockies in Arizona. Uh, Just about everything that could go wrong did. They were bad in all elements of the game, and they got swept in four. So, yeah, I'm going to do ups and downs today, but I'm going to focus in on, I think, the two big questions facing sort of pillar elements of this team right now, right? What do they do at closer and what's going on with Chris Bryant? So there's obviously a lot else to talk about here, but ultimately at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of shuffling around. The back end of the rotation continues to be what it looked like it was going to be, which is mostly pretty bad. In fact, if anything, I'd say they've been slightly better than I would have expected, but still not very good, right? Uh, and then you had another, just an, another unfortunate uh, bad game out of Kyle Freeland. And then when that happens, you, you, there's not much room for respite anywhere, right? You, you're, you're sort of stuck right now if you're not getting a, a good game out of Kyle Freeland. So, <clears throat> okay, let me give you one up before I dive into all of this negative stuff, right? Surely somebody had a good series, and, and somebody did. Ezekiel Tovar had a nice set. Several extra base hits. He was getting on base in every game. Uh, a number of very nice defensive plays. In fact, I flipped on for the afternoon conclusion game, the uh, the Arizona broadcasters. And they were really just gushing about Ezekiel Tovar. And that's always nice to hear. Uh, you know, the, the other team's broadcasters are under no obligation to build up this part of the team or that part of the team. For the other guys, right? For their own guys. We all know how the... uh, And this will be interesting to see how this changes, by the way, over the next couple of years as we maybe go away from the model that we've had for so long of these highly kind of homerific home broadcasts, right? But for now, that's what we have. And it was really interesting to see the Arizona guys just really talking up Tovar and, and mentioning that, yeah, he had a rough offensive start to the season, but you look at the, now his overall numbers look pretty decent. That's how good he's been at the plate in May. Quietly, because he's still not hitting for a ton of pop. And I feel like, and I'd have to do some research on this, an inordinate number of his extra base hits have actually come on the ground, right? He's had a lot of doubles in particular by hitting the a really hard ground ball uh, just up the third baseline, right? He's done that a lot. And that's a great double to have. It doesn't count any. You still get your two bases, right? It doesn't have to be a, a line drive into the gap to count as a double. And he's had some of those as well. He's also hit some, um, at least one opposite field home run at Coors that went into the uh, the bullpen, right? So he's showing it, not power to all fields in the way that sometimes you talk about that, where a guy can hit the ball out in every direction, or you expect him to maybe you know hit the ball hard off of the say the right field scoreboard a lot at Coors Field or the whatever the equivalents are when they go on the road I still want to see him drive the ball the other way with a little bit more authority but man that home run that he hit to left center field at at the Diamondbacks Park Chase Field it's such a weird ballpark it's probably my least favorite park that I've been to I've never been to Oakland or Tampa 
I've been to, I think, 15 or 16 ballparks, and Chase is just so bizarre. Uh, but anyway, I, I think I saw on the, uh, is it still Would It Dong on Twitter, or, or is there a new tracker for that? Whatever it was, I saw that it, it would have been a home run in 28 out of 30 parks, but not at Coors Field, uh, because that left center field gap is the deepest part of Coors. Uh, but also, that pitch was out away from him, right? He, he pulled it into the left center field gap and still managed to get it over the wall for a guy that doesn't have a ton of size. That's pretty impressive bat speed. So he had a great series all the way around. Uh, and I think I talked about last time. Now I can't remember if I did this uh, on the podcast or in a YouTube video for the weekly wrap ups that I'm doing about how good his defensive metrics are rating out now. And so he's going to be a guy who's going to put up as a rookie, a pretty decent wins above replacement number. Now we'll see if the offense hangs in there so that he can get that, that kind of rookie of the year consideration and those things, you, you know, the voters tend to want to see and fans tend to want to see the offense. Uh, but it's also pretty interesting to note that Tovar really was the, the bright spot. You know, when you're 21 years old, by far the youngest guy on the team, uh, everybody else is out there, uh, you know, really struggling to some extent, certainly collectively. And you're able to put all that aside, keep your rhythm going, keep your focus going. That's another good sign of a ball player who has a chance to have a very long, very successful career. So more exciting stuff out of Ezekiel Tovar over the last four days. If you're looking for a silver lining in, a, in an otherwise pretty embarrassing four-game sweep, there it is. Okay, let's get into the issues and let's start at the end of the series and with the big one that's probably on everyone's mind, especially because we've talked about this a few times already. What to do about Pierce Johnson? As I had said several times before, you know, his flirtations with danger hadn't really been costing you. And until they did, it was going to be tough to justify making a change. Well... Now they have, right? Rockies really should have won that that last game. They were up for most of it. They needed one out to get. I will say quickly here. Well, no, I guess I, 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 who's in a rush? I can break this down a little bit. <laughs> uh, both of the hits that ended up basically as, as the big rally for Arizona, the Cattell Marte hit and the Corbin Carroll walk-off, we're on pretty good pitches. The double that uh, Marte hit was a breaking ball that was below the zone. It was a 3-2 count, right? It was a pretty good pitch. Marte just went down there and got it. And by the way, on that play, Brenton Doyle did an incredible job to get over and cut it off and make sure that a run didn't score and give Johnson the opportunity, despite the fact that he had now given up a couple of hits. Well, actually, he'd given up a walk, and I'm going to get back to that in a second. And then now this double, he still had the chance to get out of it. He just needed one more out to end the ball game with a Rockies win, right? And then the fastball that he threw to Corbin Carroll that he ended up hitting into left field for the game winner was maybe six or seven inches off the plate. Like that was just you, you, that's a tip your cap hit. Like, so the issue for me, the biggest problem, and I mentioned this before when talking about some of Pierce's struggles was the walk, the walk set everything else up. Right. And he's had those command issues 
throughout the year. His stuff is so good that for the most part, he's been able to bail out of it. But then when you get a situation like this where, yeah, you threw a good pitch, but sometimes really good major league hitters will hit a good pitch. That's why they get paid a whole lot of money, right? And we all know Cattell Marte absolutely kills the Rockies. The second he came to the plate, I got to tell you, I felt like the Rockies were going to lose. I figured he would hit a walk-off home run right there, you know, but it, it went how it went. But that's part, that's the other part of giving the free pass there, right? You get that guy out. Now, I can't remember who he walked right now off the top of my head, but you, you don't even get to Marte, right? So that walk really was the killer. Uh, teams can get a couple of base hits on pitches out of the zone in a row, but it's unlikely they're going to get three, right? But you gave them the free pass, and so they only needed two. So that's how that ends up going down. And now you do have a decision to make with Pierce Johnson because you can't be like, well, yeah, okay, it's been shaky, but when it's been most important, he hasn't blown it yet. And remember last time I talked about the difference between a blown save, which he did before, but the Rockies didn't lose the game, and a blown game, which is what he did here. Right. If that Corbin Carroll single is a little bit more to the left and it's directly at Profar and left field and Marte can't score the winning run and he just blows the save again to a tie, but then gets the next out. And then the Rockies come back and win the game. Then we're talking about two blown saves, but no blown games. What we have now is a blown save and a blown game. And also the shakiness of it all. The last time he blew one, a couple of home runs, four runs given up, the walks, uh, right? The high ERA, all of this stuff coming together. And I do think that they should give very strong consideration to letting somebody else close out ball games for a minute. But the other part of this, always, you can't have half this conversation. And I find when people are frustrated with a player not performing, they oftentimes want to have half of the conversation, which is get rid of that guy. Don't let him close anymore or or trade so-and-so or send down so-and-so or whatever, right? But anytime you're doing that, there has to be the other, okay, what's the flip side? Who are you bringing up? Who are you putting into that role? Who are you getting back in return? So in this case, let's talk about some other people that can maybe become the Rockies closer. Justin Lawrence would have been kind of the easy answer to this question in the early going because he was so dominant and because he's clearly been Buddy's next guy down, uh, both in terms of he's pitched the vast majority of the eighth innings, right? So he's kind of been the primary setup guy. And he's also been the guy that Buddy has gone to when, say there's like, he's done this a couple of times where the Rockies are up four, maybe five runs. And Lawrence will maybe come in and get the last out of the eighth and then stay in and pitch the ninth. So a non-save situation. But Lawrence has experience getting the final outs of ball games. You know, that's important too. Even if it's not a save situation, getting that experience of, you still don't, as we've all seen, right? You, you can give up four runs in a hurry at this level if you don't have your stuff together. So Lawrence, I think, would have been the slam dunk choice like three or four weeks ago. One thing there is he's been a little shakier lately. Still, I would say from a stuff standpoint and from an excitement for the future standpoint, Lawrence is the guy with the most 
in that jar, right? In, in that bucket where you can get excited about if he really does lock into it. I've long said Lawrence has closer stuff. It's obvious, right? He's He said to me when we did the survey thing that, you know, his most memorable moment to this point of his career was getting that first save and that he really hoped and believed that it was the first of many more to come. And I don't believe he's gotten another one since. Uh, so I'd really like to see him get that opportunity. I think he's got another chance at it. It's not that he's, you know, obviously blown a ton or anything like that. So I'd like to see uh, Lawrence get those opportunities. He's probably the number one guy I would go to. The one thing, like I said, though, is he's been scored upon a bit more lately. He's not pitching at his best. Obviously, in an ideal scenario, if this is somebody you think might be your closer of the future, you'd love to put them in that spot when their stuff is tightest when they're, you know, when they're pitching their best, not when they're in a little bit of a slump right now. It's tough to tell with relievers how much of that is just, you know, hey, you have one ball game where you're missing your spots by just a little bit. Walk, walk, double in the gap, and that'll really mess up your your numbers. Right. But for Lawrence and that's the other thing that if you're really, you know, breaking this down, if we were in a competitive season or if, or if you're being competitive out there and you're trying to think of, yes, I just want to win ball games. Who's the guy that's best for the job? One thing on the Lawrence profile you do have to look at, and he's been better this year, but is the walks, right? Like I was just talking about with Justin Lawrence. That's one thing you really don't want to do in the ninth inning is give him the free pass. You've got to make him earn it. And so... You know, Lawrence has struggled in his career with walks. Like I said, been better this year, but still with his stuff, there's always going to be a little bit of a command thing with him. But then again, we know he's got the swing and miss stuff to work out of it, right? Another candidate here would be Jake Bird, who's just a slightly less sexy version of everything that I said about Lawrence, right? The profile hasn't been as exciting over the years. The prospect pedigree hasn't been as exciting over the years, uh, he had not a great year last year and not a great start to this year. But since then, he's been one of the best relievers in the National League, very quietly. Uh, but he's been phenomenal. And he's had the strikeout stuff as well. So, you know, if Jake Bird, I feel like would be almost the safe. In fact, it's, it's kind of what I expect Buddy to do a little bit again if you feel like, hey, let's leave Lawrence where he is because he's building confidence. He's doing great, but he's not, you know, at his best right this moment. So maybe we just want to not over challenge the young man, though. I'm sure he'd be excited for it and, and happy for the challenge. You go with Jake Bird, whose numbers have been great, and it would be hard to say he hasn't earned an opportunity to do it well because he's been dominant this year. And that way you don't feel like you're shaking up your bullpen too much. Right, and then you can just kind of flip Pierce uh, around into more of a seventh, uh, sixth or seventh inning role. Maybe he starts getting a couple of those tighter jams when they come earlier in the games, uh, which is something that I think might even help him with some of his command issues. Oddly enough, I felt like he threw his better pitches once he was in trouble there. Again, it's the walks, but he's he's got to tighten it up. He's got to work on some things and being able to have some days off where you know. He knows he's probably not going to work, and even if it's a save opportunity, he's not screwing the team by not being available because somebody else has stepped into that closer's role, right? So 
Uh, the other thing that is a possibility, but I don't think a probability, but I'm interested in it because I've been so hyper-focused on Rocky's history throughout this season. And again, I hope you all are subscribed to the YouTube channel and checking out all those videos I've been doing. And one of them was on Daniel Bard and the fact that he is currently tied for, shoot, I did the video on it. Now I'm trying to remember, I think it's fourth place uh, all time on Rocky's saves, right? He's uh, He's got 60. He's tied with Wade Davis and which is hilarious right but he only needs one more save to kind of separate himself and, and step into the upper echelon of rocky's closer history and then he, he get like 20 to 30 more and he starts catching guys like houston street jose Jimenez. maybe even if he's around for one more year he could challenge brian fuentes for the most saves in franchise history now obviously we know there's a lot going on with daniel bard that he hasn't pitched a ton this season that they've been you know watching him and then even though when since he's come back he's been pretty good he's also been a little shaky right he certainly hasn't locked in fully to the way we saw him last year or had any truly dominant outings yet he's still going out and you know giving up a walk or a base hit here and there even when he's pitching pretty well so uh, for me, yeah. So, like I said, just sort of selfishly, I guess I'd like to see Daniel Bard get those opportunities. Um, I, I just want to see him get at least one more save, <laughs> so he can, uh, you know, move up that one spot on on the save charts for Rockies history. So, yeah. Other than that, I don't know that you have a ton of options at the closer role. You know, the bullpen's been so good this year. It is unfortunate and kind of frustrating that you feel like. You've got to hyper-focus on them when they blow you a game when the Rockies have lost far more games this season because their starting pitching has been bad or their defense screwed up or their offense just didn't show up to the ballpark that day. All of which happened throughout this series in Arizona, by the way. But we hyper-focus on bullpens when they screw up because that was the winnable game, right? That's the one they should have had. And when you should have had it and you walk away with the loss... It just feels that much worse. So we'll see if they do anything. I wouldn't even be entirely shocked if Buddy sticks with Pierce for at least one more. But I don't know. I, I, I don't think he will. I think Pierce could use the time off. And I think the fact that you do have two other guys in Lawrence and Bird who are pitching well and have closer stuff. And then you've got Daniel Bard there who's got the experience and has great stuff. Like you just have options at this point. And it doesn't mean you have to permanently remove Pierce Johnson from the closer role. You can say, hey, look, we're going to take a couple of weeks. We're going to see how some of these other guys do with it. We're going to tighten your stuff back up. If you get to a point where you're going out and you put together a couple of clean innings, no base runners, the job is yours again. And I think everyone in that bullpen would 100% understand. That's one thing that's cool about this group of dudes. Like, there's not going to be any ego issues with them, you know, swapping this stuff around. And because of that, even though it really only has been one game that Pierce Johnson has cost you to this point of the season, we're now in June. He's been your closer this whole time. I know the numbers don't look great. But Pierce Johnson has been the reason that you lost one baseball game, right? Still, I, I think it's fair to say, hey, let's let's get you right a little bit, uh, you know, because the, the other thing, too, is you want Pierce Johnson at his best. I, I hope he's a guy who can stick around for a couple of years through when the Rockies are good next and kind of weather this storm, whether he's the closer, setup man, whatever. I just think he's a, a remarkable asset to the organization as a Colorado-born pitcher who has figured out uh, some success through turmoil here. 
I've talked about this throughout the years. Uh, you know what? I'm going to do the Chris Bryant conversation on another thing because I think I'm just going to wrap up on this point here and I will do a Chris Bryant conversation for you tomorrow because that needs to be a long conversation and I want to dive into some numbers there and I'm just not going to have time to do it on this one. So I'm going to finish up with just being the the pitcher conversation, the, the bullpen uh, in particular. So as, uh, as I was about to say, the, the ups and downs of a pitching career, a pitching life uh, as a member of the Colorado Rockies is really, really important, right? Throughout history, you can find certain guys who have had success in very short stints, but guys, essentially the Wade Davis paradigm, right? Of once it turns, most of them don't get it back. Once Coors Field gets in your head, if, if that's what it is, once your numbers start to go south, once your pitches stop working, Brian Shaw, Wade Davis, Jake McGee, right? Jeremy Guthrie, once once it starts to go south, a lot of these guys, and I do think that for the vast majority of them, it's a mental thing. Uh, certainly for the players that I just named, I'm highly confident that it was a mental thing. And I am also highly confident that that's not going to happen to Pierce Johnson. Now, it may not work out for him here. You know, he may end up, it may end up just being the case where fastball, curveball, uh, if he's going to have command issues, uh, isn't quite enough of it. You know, he needs a third pitch or, or whatever. You know, it may be that it doesn't work out for him, but I don't think it's going to be because Coors Field eats him up and spits him out, right? I don't think it's going to be because he can't handle the ugliness of the ERA and so he buckles under it. Like I said after the blown save in Denver, the fact that he bounced back the very next game and didn't give up a base runner and got his save was huge, right? What you can't do as a pitcher here is worry about what happened last time. I've heard this spoken to me by Chad Bettis, uh, by John Gray, by Pedro Estacio. And I, and I think Pedro Estacio is one of the uh, sort of proprietors of this idea, right? He's he's one I've, uh, I've been told he, he goes around and he talks to the guys. Um, the, the Rockies have him around semi-regularly. Like he's not a on payroll like coach or anything, but he comes around each season, uh, spends some time with the minor league guys, with the younger major league guys. And one of the things that he's sort of famous for saying is the key to pitching at Coors Field in particular is you just got to get the next out or pitch better than the other guy, right? If you're so mad you gave up the game-tying home run that then you give up the game-winning home run, now you've compounded the problem. And I'm telling you folks, as somebody who has watched and studied this team my entire life, that's the norm. That once things really start to spin away from guys, they really start to spin away from guys. Tyler Chatwood is a phenomenal example of this. You go look at some of Chatwood's early numbers in Colorado, and he was fantastic. In fact, he still has the third best ERA plus in franchise history because he was so good early in his career. 
But once he lost it, he was done. He, he became one of the worst qualified starting pitchers in baseball about a year and a half after he had been very quietly one of the best. And he never got it back here. And then he let, he went to Chicago and was able to salvage his career a little bit, make a couple a couple more years of at least being able to pitch decently. But man, did the nightmare of Coors end up messing that guy up. And I just see this thing in, in Pierce Johnson where, I don't know, he just doesn't have that. He's excited to pitch in Colorado. He lo- I mean, obviously he's from here. He loves it. So he's not going to wear that. But but it's also, I don't know, in his face and his attitude and the way he approaches, the way he shows up in the clubhouse, uh, the way he goes out and throws his game, you know, whether he's struggling with his command or not. And... Yeah, I hope he's a guy that can stick around for several more years, whatever the role may be, because those guys are in short supply throughout the entire history of this franchise, right? You can find guys who will have a one-off good year. Just keep doing what you're doing if it's resulting in success, right? But guys who were able to bounce back from bad games, bad seasons, really, really bad outings, and find it again... You got to keep them around. So let's see what happens with Pierce Johnson from here on out, if he can respond to this, because I think that would be great news for the Rockies in 2024 and moving forward, especially if they can figure out some kind of extension with him. But if not, it's a bummer that it didn't work out. And let's see if Jake Bird or Justin Lawrence or or some of these other young guys uh, can get their opportunities. But as I've often said, in a more competitive season, this would have been a much more frustrating set as it is you just kind of kind of roll with those punches and and see what happens next right the Rockies have been bringing up more young players they brought Montero back up with uh Charlie Blackman going on the bereavement wrist wrist list for a short period there and Montero remains with the club as Chris Bryant goes on the IL and like I said I will have that conversation for you probably just tomorrow so you know, but as all of that happens, they're getting younger and younger. Yes, I know the young guys aren't playing quite as often as they should. But I, I said this on the AMA that we recorded yesterday that's probably going to go out right around the time this podcast does. But sometimes you got to grade on a curve, or at least I feel like I do, right? You know, in Rockies terms, they're playing the young guys way more than they have throughout their history. Is it as much as they should be? In my opinion, still no. But am I still very encouraged by what I'm seeing out of the playing time that Brenton Doyle has essentially cemented himself as the everyday starting center fielder? Obviously, they've gone with Tovar at shortstop. Nolan Jones, while he's been up, has played most of the games uh, that he's been eligible for this go-round. Obviously, last go-round was more of a weekend of getting a paycheck, but he's been out there and they've played him at multiple positions Uh, and he made a really nice catch in right field he showed a little more range than I realized he had and I've been excited to watch Nolan Jones play too though obviously he hasn't really gone off right I didn't necessarily expect him to as as I've said many times huge numbers in AAA don't really necessarily translate to anything in the bigs but still it's been nice to see the young players play more that's what I'll be hyper focused on here for the series in Kansas City and hopefully I've got a few ups for you at the end of that one. So 
Thank you all for listening in to this episode of the podcast. Make sure you're checking out all of the written content over at milehighsports.com and that you are subscribed to the YouTube channel. Got that Ubaldo Jimenez video coming your way very, very soon. Plus a whole bunch of other really fun stuff up there on Juan Pierre, Jorge De La Rosa, course the big guys like larry walker todd helton that kind of stuff so really appreciate you checking out the youtube videos if you haven't yet please give a like and a subscribe to the channel and all that good stuff other than that i can only ever thank you all for being absolutely awesome out there you know that i will continue to be absolutely drew creaseman in here and until next time i will see you at the ballpark